Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. So I want to welcome you again and also want to welcome uh, people that are watching online. And uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5, we're beginning uh, uh, John chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading through uh, verse 24. And uh, as I I read it, I want you to know that uh, Jesus does this uh, amazing miracle. He heals this paralyzed man, and then uh, he begins to um, uh, be persecuted and has to begin a defense of, of being persecuted, and, and I, I want you to know that a conflict is introduced into the story, and so let me read it to you, then we'll talk about it. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool, and when the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leader that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life." 
If you happen to recognize that verse 24, I, I uh, taught on that verse uh, really heavily uh, on Easter of this year. And I, I, I love uh, this verse, and there's some uh, amazing things that happen in this chapter. Uh, but I got to tell you that this chapter is a real challenge for me uh, to preach uh, because uh, the story is just so wonderful of Jesus, and I, I love Jesus, and, and the story is just moving along so well. He does these amazing things, and he has these amazing conversations, first with uh, the religious leader Nicodemus, and tells him you must be born again, and then we have that beautiful verse from John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he has this amazing conversation with the Samaritan woman, and uh, everything is just, it's just wonderful, but in this story, conflict enters in. And it's inevitable. Any really good story has conflict and has good conflict. But I love Jesus so much, I just can't imagine people picking on him, especially uh, for doing good. You know, he's doing good. He's healing people. And then they're getting all mad at him because he healed on the wrong day. You know, sort of like, can't you, you know, uh, heal that man on Monday or Sunday or Wednesday? Why do you have to do it on Saturday? And so they're what we would call or what I would call legalists. They're really legalistic. And even though there is the Ten Commandments, they have added another 600 and so laws, little, uh, little, little laws. And at the same same time, they've come up with excuses for why they can break the Sabbath. And they had lawyers that worked for them, and they came up with all kinds of things to break the Sabbath. And so they get really mad at Jesus, but if they have a cow or a sheep that falls into a pit, they've got rules that they can break the Sabbath and save their animals. So uh, it, it really, this whole chapter just kind of grates on me because of the conflict that enters. But let me, let me tell the story. The name of this uh, message is greater works. Jesus says, you know, you think that healing this paralyzed man is anything? There's even greater works that are coming. So let me set the scene. So sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. We don't know which one it is. Uh, my best guess is it's uh, a Passover. Uh, there is uh, three Passovers that John specifically says. Uh, this could have been the, the Festival of Pentecost. This could have been a Festival of Tabernacles, though I think Tabernacles not so much because uh, in the next chapter, chapter 7, uh, he goes to uh, the, the um, a Festival of Tabernacles. So I think this was probably the fourth uh, Passover, and especially since uh, it's actually, uh, it says Jewish festivals, it actually says the Jewish festival. So I think it was Passover, but that's just my opinion. I probably should have stepped down. So Jesus goes uh, to this um, uh, sheep's gate. There's a pool, and uh, they've actually dug it up, and uh, we have a picture of it, uh, the ruins, and it's pretty cool. It actually is several pools. Uh, uh, Jerusalem has the most amazing um, uh, reservoir system, especially back in that day. You can't believe how much reservoirs are underneath the city and even running underneath the Temple Mount. And uh, there is just some amazing things. You ever go there, make sure you go through the rabbi's tunnel and just see uh, the amazing waterworks and also some of the big stones that they laid down. Uh, it's, just, it's just an awesome, awesome uh, building in here. 
there were two uh, pools, and um, there was this uh, story that if the water uh, rippled, you know, it was an angel causing it to do it, and the first one in would get healed. And so they pretty much believed in that superstition. And so there was this paralyzed guy, and he's uh, waiting around. And uh, in this story, uh, he's waiting around with a number of of, uh, disabled people, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And he had been an invalid for 38 years. And so uh, we don't know when that happened. Uh, If it happened to him when he was 20, uh, this would make him, you know, 58 if I did my math right. So uh, if he was, you know, younger, he would have been younger. But 38 years he was in this condition and he's waiting all this time. In verse 6, notice it says, Jesus saw him. And one of the most amazing things is Jesus has a gift of mercy and he sees people. He sees you and I. And he sees this man lying there. And uh, he um, goes up to him and he asks him this really important question. uh, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And it's it's an amazing question. I was talking to a Christian counselor, a really good one, a couple weeks ago. And I I didn't tell the counselor that I was teaching this. And he just happened to bring it up that uh, in uh, John chapter 5... Jesus asked this question, do you want to get well? Because in his work in counseling, there's lots of times people don't really want to get well. They don't really want to get well. And so this is a good question to ask. Do you want to get well? And uh, it's one of the most important things. And if you have a sickness or if you have a, a struggle in some area or addiction, one of the questions to ask is, do you really want to get well? The other question uh, that he told me is really good is, uh, if they um, don't really want to get well, uh, you ask them, what is the paycheck for not getting well? What, what's the paycheck? What's the, if you don't get well, what do you do? And one of the reasons it's an excuse for not doing things or it's an excuse for uh, not functioning very well. And so it was just a really interesting take. But that's a really good question that Jesus asked. Do you want to get well? The invalids responded, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool. There's no one that is staying with me, and when the water ripples, uh, that they could put me in and, and, and I could get healed. And so, you know, he kind of wants to get healed, but he doesn't have the means to get healed. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately, immediately, his, his paralyzation is healed. His, his legs that probably were atrophied, you know, all of a sudden had the strength and the muscle and, and, and balance. Just think of all the things that had to be done uh, to his spine and to whatever things were causing him not to be able to move. And then he, even his brain, you know, Jesus just heals him immediately. And, and it's an imperative. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. At once he was healed. And he picked up his mat and he began to walk. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when I'm sick, I, I want to be healed immediately. I, I don't want to have a convalescence. I don't know if you feel that way. I used to get these migraines, these cluster migraines, and they also call them suicide migraines. And I, I would pray, Jesus, heal me, Jesus, heal me, Jesus, heal me. You know, and I wanted him just to touch my brain and, and take it away immediately. And it ended up I had to go to a doctor and I had to get some medicine. And then uh, the doctor told me, he says, you know, this is one of those things that just happens uh, for a few years and then you'll grow out of them. And, uh, and so I grew out of them. And uh, just, just joking, just joking. So uh, I, I want you to know that a few years 
years later, they went away, and then the doctor said, when you're 40, they're going to come back. But praise God, they never did. But I remember having them and just being so sick, and I just wanted to be healed immediately. And God doesn't always do it immediately, but here he does. And he cures him, and he picks up his mat, and he's walking. But it's Saturday. It's where the day that the Sabbath that they keep holy. And uh, uh, it's the most amazing thing. He begins to, to walk, and uh, notice it says uh, in uh, verse 10, So the Jewish leader said to the man, because they saw him walking, uh, who had healed him, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you from carrying your mat. What are you doing? Why are you carrying your mat? But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so uh, he tells them the story. So they said, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your, your mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. And so there's this festival going on, and this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. And if you notice this story, he never asked Jesus uh, to heal him. And that gives me great hope that I can pray for people um, that have never asked. Lots of times when Jesus heals, you know, they ask to be healed. Uh, Many times, you know, he heals them because they, they have faith in him. But here, this guy doesn't have any faith, doesn't even know who he is, and Jesus heals him. So I love that, that I can pray for people and pray that they'll be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, even if they don't know him, even if they don't know God, or even if they don't even care about God, I can still pray for God to do some amazing things. And, and so this guy tells him, you know, it was someone I don't even know who it is. Verse 14, later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning and something, or something worse may happen to you. A lot of Christians don't like that, that verse, you know. But it's really true, you know, that, you know, stop sinning. Stop living in that lifestyle uh, because there's a lot worse things spiritually for you uh, from a life of sin. So stop sinning. And then, verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leader it was Jesus who had made him well. And that begins to cause them to persecute him. And if you look at verse 16, this man told the Jewish leader that it was Jesus. And I want you to know that that really bugs me. That verse really bothers me because this guy, you know, rat finks on Jesus. And I, I know you're not supposed to think that way. But, you know, he tells on Jesus, you know, he just healed him, and now you're getting Jesus in trouble, you know, and maybe he's trying to get out of trouble, but, you know, when I was a kid in sixth grade, I learned this word, rat fink. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I love that word. Some other ones are a tattletale, uh, um, a a squealer, a snitch, a double crosser, a a weasel. I love that, a weasel. I love that idea. And there's just something, a stool pigeon. There's just all these names, but I think rat fink is the best one. And every so often, when someone is healed, and and you're dealing with someone that needs to be healed, you you don't always like the patient. My wife's been a nurse for many, many years, and every so often, not very often, uh, there'll be uh, someone that uh, you just don't like. You know, you just, you know, you feel sorry for them. I usually don't feel sorry. She has the gift of mercy. She always feels sorry for them. But sometimes they're just, you know, an awful person. And there was one patient that my wife was working with, and this is years and years ago, and, and uh, just gave my wife just fits and uh, just was awful. And I ran into this person at a store, you know. And my first impulse was not Christian at all. I just wanted to just go tell them. And Elaine grabbed my arm and said, don't. 
don't. That's not yours to do. It's vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I said, I don't want vengeance. I just want to let them know what I think. Just give them a little piece of my mind, you know. And I want you to know that one of the things that bugs me about teaching this story is I don't like this guy. You know, he's a rat fink, and I don't like him. And, you know, I could just see John, you know, uh, that writes this gospel. He's one of the disciples, and this is John's gospel. And you could see him thinking, you know, or later thinking, I'm going to put that guy and put his story in my story, you know, so people know how he rat fink Jesus out. And then the worst thing, what if this guy becomes a Christian? What if because Jesus healed him, even though he rat finked him out, what if he becomes a Christian? You know, you could see him in the early church, you know, and, and some of the, you know, some of his uh, uh, kids and, and some of his nephews saying, uh, Uncle Morty, tell us the time you rat finked Jesus out, you know. And you could just see, you know, when I'm going to meet him in heaven and we have to love people, you know. The thing that gives me grace about this is I'm sure I've done stuff that people say, man, that guy's awful. And I've done stuff, you know, that are worse than what this guy did. But let me keep telling the story. So the, the, the religious leaders are upset at Jesus. And notice that verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders begin to persecute him. And Jesus begins to defend himself. Now, I'm not going to be able to go through all the defense uh, this week alone. I'll, I'll do this next week, a lot of it. But in defense, Jesus began to say, look, my father is always at his work. And I am working too. Even though it's the Sabbath, God doesn't stop working. He doesn't stop holding the planets in their orbits. He doesn't stop holding, you know, all the things in the earth. You know, his providence, he works, you know, every Saturday he doesn't take a day off. Now, when he did the, the creation, he rested from that creative work. But there also is this idea that God never stops doing mercy, even on the Sabbath. And for us, we're never to stop having mercy or to be doing good just because it's a Sunday. And we're saying, well, that's a religious day. I'm not going to do it. And this is what Jesus says to him. And he says, notice it says, my father. And that particularly irritates them almost more than the work on the Sabbath. My father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. And they are really angry. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The, the religious leaders of the day, they knew what Jesus was saying. And they disbelieved him. And they hated him. And they wanted to kill him. And Jesus is facing not only criticism and persecution, but he is facing hardened disbelief and that's one of the hardest things that I find is someone that's hardened in their disbelief and Jesus begins to defend himself and he begins to say very truly verse 19 I tell you the son can do nothing by himself I don't do anything unless the father does it and I see him doing it and he's the one and the father and the son work together and the father loves the son and shows him all these things and then he says, yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus says, you think doing this uh, paralyzation was anything? That I healed this paralyzed invalid? That's nothing compared to what's coming. Greater works are coming. 
And then he begins talking about the life. For just as the father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the son gives life to who he pleases to give life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then he says, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all who honor the son honor the father. And whoever does not honor Jesus, the son, does not honor the father who sent him. And now we're in some really powerful stuff. And it's kind of like sounding negative, like Jesus is going to be the judge. And he is going to be the judge. But I want you to know that that great verse in 20, verse 24 says, basically, here's how we honor Jesus. We honor him by believing. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. So in the midst of this legalism and in the midst of Jesus saying, look, I am going to be the one that is the judge. And then later he says, you know, I don't say any judgment except for the father, you know, and I working together. And so there's this idea that that Jesus is going to be the judge. And that scares a lot of people. But I want you to know the way that we can honor is to believe. And John was written, if you remember when we started in the series and looking at this book, that it was written, John was written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so belief is honoring Jesus. And the most important thing that we can do is believe him and believe him every day. So this message was kind of like, uh, so, oh, so hard for me because of the the criticism of Jesus, and I, I, I don't like them criticizing Jesus, and I don't like the, the persecution, and I don't like that. And I know it makes a good story, the conflict, but, you know, all the language of judging and all the stuff that's going to happen. And he says to him at the end of this chapter, you guys don't believe. You don't believe Moses. You don't believe me. You don't believe Father God. And so it's a lot of negative stuff. So I kind of sneaked ahead to John 6. And I picked one little verse that I want to give you some grace. Is that okay if I do that? It, has, it really isn't connected to this, but it's been kind of a negative kind of a message. But I wanted to give you um, just this one verse. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, in John 6.37, there's this one line that shows the grace or the idea of believing. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John 6.37 in the New International Version. Um, But the English Standard Version says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. So I don't know if you like drive away or cast out. Both are great. But a lot of times people have this fear of coming to Jesus or coming to God through Jesus is because that you're going to get judged and eventually you're going to get thrown out. So this this uh, writing that I'm going to read to you is from this amazing Christian writer hundreds of years ago. His name was John Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. I loved that book when I was a kid. The, I actually read the children's version. It's just a wonderful story. Uh, and he has this other book called Come and Welcome to Jesus. Come and Welcome to Jesus. And so in, in this book, and John Bunyan he, he uses like Shakespearean language. So I've cleaned it up a little bit, made it more vernacular. And then about halfway through, I go into, I go into uh, um, 
George grabbing some stuff. Okay, so it's not just John Bunyan, but it's me grabbing it. And the, in the, when I read it to Elaine, she says, oh, that one saying says you, says you jars me. But that's kind of how they talked back then. So just hang in there and listen to this. And this is coming out of this verse. Whoever comes to me, Jesus is saying this, whoever comes to Jesus, I will never cast out. But I'm a great sinner, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I'm an old sinner, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I've served Satan all the days, says you. I will not cast you out, Jesus says. But I have sinned against mercy, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I have not a good thing to bring with me, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I've really messed up, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But there's a perversity down inside of me that is hidden from everyone, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I've, I've lived a wanton life, alcohol and drugs and illicit sex and even prison, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I've stolen, I lie, I've lived a lie, I curse, I even use your name in swearing, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I lose my temper and filled with rage. I'm angry all the time, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I judge others. I judge and gossip, says you. But I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I chase after money and material things, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I've ruined my marriage, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I've ruined my life and I don't have much hope, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But I have a besetting sin that I do over and over and over and over, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. But there's an ugliness in me that you will discover and sooner or later you'll get tired of me, says you. I will not cast you out, says Jesus. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Amen? Let me, let me pray. In fact, why don't you stand and let me pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for each person here and just thank you that you will not cast us out. In my spirit, I struggle with John 5, that you had to go through persecution and, and disbelief and hardened disbelief and people trying to kill you. I know that it leads to the cross and, and that the cross is what saves us. And I just thank you for that and praise you for that. But that chapter is so, so hard to read, what you went through, what you went through for me and what you went through for others. And in many ways, a lot of us are like that paralyzed invalid. And we can't walk unless you help us walk in spiritual life. Oh, Lord Jesus, we know that you're the, the resurrection and the life, that you give life. We pray that you would let John 5 just seep into our souls, that we would learn from it. That it would be meat for our souls and water for our spirit. In Jesus' name.
Amen.